This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. On June 22nd, 1979, the Professional Football Researchers Association was officially founded in Canton, Ohio. A little over a month later, in the same city, the 1979 Pro Football Hall of Fame enshrinement occurred, which was important to this week's guest beyond just the normal annual tradition. For you see, this week's guest really started getting into football, and subsequently then the PFRA later in life, because of one player. And that player is often referred to as Johnny U. Welcome to the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. Your host is Arnie Chapman. Football is his passion, and he wants you to come along with him to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board his DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. This time to step off the DeLorean, the date is September 6, 1964. We're at Fawcett Stadium in Canton, Ohio. Now we're here to witness a Hall of Fame game between the Baltimore Colts and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, the game itself was not that... Eh, big of a deal because the Colts would put a whooping on the Steelers 48-17. to But the score was not the important part of the game for this week's guest. For you see, this was the first game a little boy really remembered going to where he was able to watch and then become enamored by a quarterback later destined for Hall of Fame glory in 1979. Of course, this is Johnny Unitas. Now that's where the timeline kind of weaves again. That's because Johnny Yu is inducted on July 8, 1979 to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, along with Dick Buckus, Yale Larry, and Ron Mix. Again, this week's guest, first love of a player, was Johnny Yu. But let's take that DeLorean back a little bit to June 22, 1979. A group would form to protect and preserve the history of professional football long after many of the primary accounts of the events had passed on. We'll liken it to the terracotta army of Ting Shi Huan, China's first emperor. You see, these statues were believed to have been buried with the emperor to protect him in the afterlife. And this week's guest may be like one of those generals of pro football's terracotta army seeking to protect football history for centuries to come. With that, though, let me introduce this week's guest. His name is George Bozica. Now, George is the Assistant Executive Director and Assistant Publications Director for the Pro Football Researchers Association. He also is on the Biography Committee, has held with multiple football books on pro football history, and is one of the main event organizers for the Pro Football Researchers Convention. And beyond that, if you want to learn more about George and his experience about growing up at the doorsteps of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, well, after this interview, I suggest that you head straight over to the Pigskin Dispatch Podcast, because you can listen to episode number 256, which just aired a couple days ago, to hear way more cool stories about George Bazika living next to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I must say, you might get a little bit of jealous, so had a look and check up something called wisdomquotes.com to help guide us a little bit. There's many over there, but the first one that popped into me when I was kind of coming down scrolling through the screen, was a guy loosely related to the history of football. Teddy Roosevelt was quoted once as saying, Comparison is the thief of joy. 
So again, just think about that before you listen to that interview that Darren had with George, because there's going to be a lot of emotions for you. Boyhood wonderment growing up next to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But speaking of emotions, now's a good chance to let you in on another partnership that we have with a recent movie release. This movie is called Vanquish, and it is now available on digital and on demand. Ruby Rose and Morgan Freeman star in Vanquish, the intense action thriller that shows what desperation can drive a person to do. When a woman's daughter is held hostage by a retired cop, she is forced to do his bidding by taking out a series of violent gangsters in order to see her child again. Vanquish is available now everywhere you rent movies. Rated R from Lionsgate. And if you're interested in this movie, we got some digital copies to give away for you. This time, though, we're not going to go to the sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash contest, which normally there's a contest going on over there. We're going to keep it to just the listeners of this podcast. If you are interested in a digital copy of Vanquish, email the Sports History Network contact email with the headline Vanquish, and I'll send a digital code to the first five emails. That's contact at sportshistorynetwork.com. And that's a way for me to give you that email address. If you ever want to get in touch with the Sports History Network, that's a good way to do it if you don't want to go through the website. Contact at sportshistorynetwork.com. But speaking of Vanquish, I think me talking solo needs a Vanquish from this podcast. You came here to learn more about our guest, George Bazika. So yeah, I mean, because as I brought you on too, so like I said, we're going to talk about the convention, but one thing I wanted to discuss is it was announced the Pro Football Researchers Association membership topped over 400 members for the first time in 2020, a year that quite frankly, in history classes are going to be talked about for probably 100 more years. The PFRA is dedicated to retelling stories of pro football from more than 100 years of a season. Why do you think organizations such as the Pro Football Researchers Association are so important? I think that it's important because of the fact that I think history in and of itself is very important. And I think preserving that history and not only preserving that history, preserving an accurate history, which is, you know, part of what we do and what we attempt to do is to, you know, research an accurate history of the game uh, all the way back. And then, you know, to disseminate and share that information. Uh, because I think one thing I found in doing research is you could check a number of different sources and get a different take on something factually. And then you have to, through you know various resources, decide well which is correct. You know, sometimes it's a firsthand thing. You talk to players, but oddly enough, I mean, sometimes even players remember it wrong. So I think that it's the importance of preserving that history and remembering where the game came from. Uh, I think sometimes that you know a lot of people remember the game from the Super Bowl on and don't really know and realize, especially the young generation, that there's this huge history of the game even before the Super Bowl. So I think it's important to educate and, you know, and then disseminate that. So I think that's why an organization like this is so important. Yeah, I would agree. And you kind of hit it home with, so my generation, my, me personally, I didn't, not know much about the history of the game before I started this podcast. I mean, sure, I heard of the name with guarantee and the stuff that they show all the time on NFL. Um, and, and quite frankly, too, I, I can remember certain plays I made 
in my football days that I'm sure were a lot better in my head than what really were on paper and in the, <laughs> in the video. So things no. can easily be misconstrued. Uh, now, when did you join the Pro Football Research Association yourself? Uh, during the 2000s. Um, I got really actively involved right after I uh, retired. I was an attorney for 30 years with the uh, City of Akron, Ohio Law Department. And I retired in 09. I'd been a member a little bit before then, but I became a really active member right after that. I was looking for, you know, other things to do and to stay active, to keep the mind active. And I thought this was, you know, a perfect thing in that regard. I, I had some other things that I was juggling too at the time. I'm, I've always had, you know, four or five things up in the air, but this is something that was really a passion uh, because of growing up in Canton. Uh, uh, and uh, so I, I, that was the reason I got involved. Well, yeah, I mean, Growing up at the doorsteps of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, I mean that's something that uh, football fans can only dream of. We'll say I've I've been there th three times now in my life, but only two of them were within the past. It was the two years before COVID hit, but that was for the podcast. Before then, it was only one time, and of course we had to go. It was I want to say before Barry retired, but they still had like a photo of the of him with the team. And then they had the AstroTurf. I just remember taking a photo with, you know, our, all of the Lions gear in the family. So yeah. definitely yeah. a unique situation compared to many fans across the nation who haven't even been able to be there. Uh, have you always been a football fan or is that something that came to you later in life? No, always, always. I mean, I remember when I was, uh, uh, uh Canton is in Stark County and Stark County in Ohio is a hotbed for high school football. And uh, we have Maslin, who I think everybody has heard of, of Maslin and, and uh, Canton McKinley, a huge football rivalry that's basically known nationwide. Uh, when they broadcast that game on the local radio station, they get a national audience through the stream. Uh, people, as far as California, listen to that game. In fact, I think it's, uh, I, I mentioned this many times. I mean, at one time there was a betting line in Vegas on that game. So I grew up in that atmosphere, uh, you know, starting around 62, 63, I was seven, eight years old. You know, I started attending high school football games and, and high school football games in this area, you know, it, it's not where you get the normal couple thousand people, you know, you could have 10, 12,000 people on a Friday night here. So that sort of fostered that plus, you know, living so close to Cleveland with the Browns, living myself within walking distance of the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, and my, my, my dad, his, all of his, all of my uncles, everybody in the family is huge football fans. We actually, uh, actually my uncle, Steve, my, my dad's brother, uh, was a spotter on Monday night football for a number of years. He spotted for Frank Gibbard on Monday night football. So, uh, and he also did local broadcasts of the, the high school games. Uh, so it, it's something in our family. My, my, my youngest son is a radio broadcaster, uh, at a station in Canton and part of his duties are, uh, or uh, football, basketball, play-by-play. -play. So it's just something that's through our family. And, and I basically grew up in that atmosphere and just have always loved football. You mentioned that you, high school, going to this game, 62-63, was the opening of the Hall of Fame in 63 like a huge deal in that neck of the woods or was it oh, back yeah. door? Okay. No, it was. I mean, I remember, uh, I mean, obviously I don't remember at the time because I was a little bit too young, but I've seen the headlines that were on the local Canton repository newspaper. It was a big deal when, uh, Canton was chosen as a site. So, uh, it was, and, uh, you know, it, it's just grown so much over the years. It's just been amazing. Yeah. Now you mentioned also <laughs> your uncle was a spotter. I, 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 forgive me. I don't know what that term means. And yeah, what, what that means is, is that when, uh, when a play-by-play -play person is doing the, the, the broadcast, 
what my uncle did and and most most play-by-play guys have a spotter basically what they do is they create a spot sheet uh and it basically has uh basically offense and defense and all the players in the positions so basically when you know frank gifford back in the day or, or anybody is calling a game so that the call is seamless usually they have somebody that's standing behind them uh and what my uncle would do is he has sort of a uh uh, a pointer. And basically he would be there right behind Gifford. I, I've seen pictures and, you know, he would prepare the spot sheets and then he would be pointing so that if Gifford was saying, well, United goes back to pass, it's a pass on the, on the flat and it's a completion to whoever the receiver is, you know, that's, that's where my uncle comes in. So, and uh, he did it on Monday night football. How it happened was is ABC used to come into Cannes to do the hall of fame game. And sometimes they wouldn't bring their regular spotter. So since my uncle was involved too, pretty active in the Hall of Fame, he stepped in and did it. They liked him so much is that that season, and I can't remember the year, but that season, just before the first game of the Monday night football schedule, they didn't have a spotter. So they remembered my uncle. They asked him, hey, you interested? And he wasn't. He did it for a number of years. Huh. Yeah, that's interesting because nowadays with technology, it's, you know, they yeah. can press a button. And right. but back exactly. then, yeah, totally different. Yeah. 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 So it was, it was a great gig for him because I mean, you know, he would have his regular nine to five job and then he would travel on the weekends to wherever Monday night football was. And, uh, you know, he was with that, that sort of the, uh, uh, legendary crew with, uh, with Gifford and Cosell and Meredith. And then, you know, the various iterations of that until he, uh, stepped down from that, but yeah, it was an enjoyable time for him. He actually even did some college games from time to time and some other things, but Monday night football was his big gig. So, he through that learning about different players and such did that turn him into being interested in history of the game too as far as i know yes because i mean my my dad grew up in a family of uh, four brothers and they were all sports lovers and they all you know under, understood and and respected the history of the game but you know i mean anytime we all got together everybody was talking football mostly because that was the thing not to say that baseball and basketball isn't big but and in that area, that neck of the woods, Northeast Ohio, you know, football's king. And uh, everybody talks about football basically 365 days a year. Yeah. I mean, when I, so I lived in Texas for a while in the Dallas area mm-hmm. and those stadiums are just high school. They look like massive college stadiums. It's crazy. Really? The difference. Yeah, it is. My, my oldest son lives in Houston right now and we've been down there to visit many times. And that's the thing I'm impressed by is I, I come in and I see all the high school stadiums. I said, well, hey, this is like home. So, you know, because I mean, te- <laughs> Texas is the same way, you know, that same love. So it, it's amazing to me. Yeah. I mean, I first thing I did when I was down there, I don't know if you can see my lion's hat right now. I do. But I, see. <laughs> I, I had to go to Matt Stafford's old high school stadium and go get a photo with my jersey on it. This is like mm-hmm. the first week that I was down there. And uh, so you mentioned was Browns was your team then growing up? It was I, from time to time because uh, I, you know, admired certain athletes. I, I, I there for a while. I mean, I was a big Johnny Unitas fan, so I followed the Colts for a while. I was a big Joe Namath fan. I think, you know, that was just sort of natural growing up in the late '60s. Uh, and you know, there was so it was the time I followed the Jets real religiously. And you know, even more recently, I really was a big fan of Kurt Warner and Larry Fitzgerald, and I followed the Cardinals too. But I, but the constants around my whole life has been the Browns. And it's it's so nice for the Browns to actually be playing good football again because it, it's been it's been a wasteland here in Cleveland for many years. Yeah, both of us have been dealing I mean, <laughs> with the same kind of situation. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah. I mean, you brought up two dudes right there: Kurt Warner, Larry Fitzgerald. You know, 
it's hard not to like those individuals. Of course, their performance on the field, but they're off the field type of guys too. And I, so did you ever get into fantasy football in the early days or at all? You know, I, uh, I'm, I do various fantasy leagues with, with some friends of mine and I did do football for a couple of years, but, uh, not, not real actively involved in, but I did do it for a couple of years. Yeah. Cause I find that nowadays in, I'm actually, I'm, I'm peeling back getting away from leagues too, because like you said, how you you found that you've watched other f- players. Mm-hmm. I found myself, it, it, I love the competitiveness of it, but it ruins the watching of the game for me, especially when I'm, my Lions are going against play. And then even DraftKings like brings in even a whole new wrinkle because every week you have a whole bunch of new people on your team. So yeah, that's something that I... I'm torn on, you know, the love of the game, but at the same yeah. time, and you know, this history thing, this is what really has, has kind of grasped onto me. And I really like it actually, as you and I are speaking right now, uh, two days from now is the three year anniversary for this podcast to release. So, Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it, and the pro football research association, that's one reason why I wanted to bring you on here too, is, is, is a huge part of what I, at the very beginning. Now, most of my shows are interviews now, like we're doing today, but it was all solo episodes. I want to say I went to the PFRA website every day, multiple times a day for articles. And I could really trust and rely on your crew and your team to be able to make sure that it was accurate and something that I know that you started and you're a founder, I don't want to say founder, chairman of is the biography project. I wanted to get into that and uh, describe what the project is and what the purpose of it is for the listener of the show. Yeah, I'm actually a, a co-chairman. Uh, the two people that are basically doing the uh, yeoman's work on this are uh, Greg Tranter and uh, Jeffrey Miller. They came up with the idea of uh, doing a biography project and basically to start writing biographies of you know NFL uh, players. Because they're both from uh, the Buffalo area originally, Greg now I think lives in New England, but they're both originally from the Buffalo area. Jeff still lives in that area. They wanted to start with um, with uh, some of the Bills players from the '60s, uh, so they've started with that. But it has really taken off, uh, you know. And and I think it's an excellent tool for people because, you know, I think eventually we hope to have you know biographies of you know most players that have played in the NFL and on back in, in as part of the project. It just uh, I think it, again it goes towards you know preserving the history of the game and when we're looking at all players you know i mean i think sometimes part of the problem is that people remember the 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 hall of famers and 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 those players but you know i mean you know there's also you know lesser players that are important to the history of the game and sometimes their stories are even more interesting than than you know than 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 the famous players i i know when we have our conventions every year we try to invite a couple of ex nfl players and you know sometimes the players that we invite are just People that have had a cup of coffee in the league, but sometimes they have the greatest stories. So, uh, you know, I think it's good to preserve those stories as part of the history of the game. So that that's basically been the purpose because it falls in line with our mission. So that that's been the main thrust with that whole project. Yeah, that is going to lead us into talking about the convention. But before we get into this upcoming year's convention, you mentioned that you brought in, you bring in ex-NFL players. Pick one story from one player that may have been obscure throughout your convention years and give me that quick story. Oh God. I'm trying to think now. Um, geez. Um, geez, this is a tough one. He's really, he's really not an obscure player, but unless maybe you're a Cleveland Browns fan, I don't know if you would know the name Dick Shafrath. Dick Shafrath was 
an offensive lineman for the Browns uh, in the 60s. He was on the line that blocked for Jimmy Brown. And he, there was a story that I asked him about when he was there that I, I heard that, you know, he said it was, it was a joy blocking for Jim Brown, but it was also difficult blocking for Jim Brown because he said if he was pulling and he was in front, he said before he knew it, Jim Brown would basically be down his back because that's how quick he was and how quick he was to get to the hole. And I just thought that, you know, that just envisioning that whole idea and, and Shafraz was really well-respected. He's one of those players in this area that's just so well-respected. I don't, I don't think he'll ever see the hall of fame, uh, but you know, he was of that line. Uh, Gene Hickerson was the great lineman of that line that actually made it to the hall of fame, but Dick Shafraz, and actually, Dick Shaffer, his interesting story, he eventually became a uh, state congressman uh, with the with the Ohio Congress, not in Washington, but with the Ohio Congress in Columbus. But I, that's that's sort of a story that that, you know, that I remember is, you know, the story about him telling about what it was like blocking for Jim Brown. Yeah, well, <laughs> someday I got to talk to a lineman uh, that blocked for Barry Sanders because I got to imagine like how hard that and difficult <laughs> you're blocking someone else and now they're going the other way and now you're holding them and everything so yeah, yeah. it'll have been a totally different and uh, before we get into the PFRA con- convention and why I brought you on I've heard this term yeoman's work twice in the past couple of days what's that term before it without Google in it uh, it means that the person that's actually doing the uh, all the dirty work and and actually uh, working, actually doing the, the the nuts and bolts work of it. You know, I, I feel like I'm I'm a, I feel like I'm a co-chairman, but Greg and Jeff are really doing all of the the work. I, I I was there basically to sort of help get the thing started, get it on our website, sort of uh, give my two cents worth and everything else. I'm I'm in the works, but uh, you know, as as with a lot of our committees, the people that are actually doing the the the, the dirty work, as I should say, of, of putting everything together. That's what I mean by that term. Oh, yeah. I've heard that twice in the, like I said, in the past couple of days, I think it was my day job. I saw someone else mm-hmm. use that terminology. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's, is it accessible for anybody who wants to try to create a biography with the guidelines that are put out there or is it, you have to apply or something like that? It's, it's basically been mostly uh, our members right now, and they do have guidelines and everything and an invitation that's on the website if you click on the link. And then you can basically say, well, hey, I'd like to do uh, a biography of this. And then uh, basically Greg will say, yeah, go ahead with it. And then, uh, then people submit the biographies. It goes through a little bit of a peer review and everything else. And there's guidelines that you have to follow, but that's... Uh, Okay, yeah. And speaking of members, let's get into the convention because there's, if you're a member, there's a certain fee. If there's a non-member, it's a certain fee. Uh, let's talk about the PFRA convention this year, the big announcement it's on. So what yeah. is it? Where will it be held? And what can guests expect out of this experience? Yeah, the 2021 convention actually was supposed to be last year, postponed because of COVID. Uh, so it's, it's being held in, in Canton, Ohio, uh, at the Pro Football Hall of Fame in the Gold Jacket Lounge. Uh, it's, it's basically a, a four day weekend, 24th through the 27th of June. The convention itself actually occurs Friday evening and Saturday all day, which is normal. That's how our conventions always work. But over the last couple of years, we've had some add on activities for people coming in early or leaving late Thursday in the afternoon. We have an add on, uh, in Masson, which is about seven, eight miles to the West of Canton. They've just opened recently here in the last few years, a Paul Brown museum as part of 
the Maslin Museum, which is a, a, a general museum in downtown Maslin. So we're going to go over there and do a tour of the Paul Brown Museum. Uh, and then we're going to go from there to Paul Brown Tiger Stadium, where it, which is a high school stadium named after Paul Brown, because that's where he coached uh, when he was a high school coach. Uh, and they have a Paul Brown statue and a Paul Brown uh, Ohio historical marker there. So we're going to go over and see that also. Friday, we're having a uh, luncheon at noon at uh, Bender's Tavern in downtown Canton, which has some ties to the NFL. Apparently, it was one of uh, Jim Thorpe's favorite watering holes, and it's been one of the oldest restaurants in Canton. So we're going to have a luncheon there uh, at 12 o'clock. And then after that, downtown Canton recently did a couple of things. They have a, a, a set of artistic pieces throughout the downtown area called the Eleven which are 11 key moments in NFL history. Some of them are just abstract art. Some of them are murals. There's things that, that uh, where the founding of the NFL was, that, that very spot where the Hupmobile showroom was. It isn't anymore, but they actually, there's always been a plaque there on the building, but they now put a uh, basically sort of an abstract uh, sculpture there. Also right across the street there is where... Um, City Hall has, they have a mural there. They have a, a an art piece for the first draft. They have an art piece for the reintegration of the NFL uh, with Kenny Washington, Woody Strode, Mary and Molly, Bill Willis. Uh, they have one for the birth of the uh, AFL, one for Monday Night Football. Uh, they're going to have one for Super Bowl three and for the 1958 championship game. Uh, but they have these, uh, they have one for Red Grange, uh, his, his start in the league. Um, so they have these throughout the downtown area and it's really fun to see them there. There's some great photo ops and stuff like that. And these are throughout the downtown hub in, in, in Canton. Uh, and then that evening we have our convention, um, where, and, uh, we're having speakers on both the, the pre NFL history and then the founding of the league and the original teams. And then the next day on Saturday, we always open Saturday with a business meeting first thing in the morning, uh, and and then we are having uh, two speakers in the morning. One I know for sure is John Maxima, who just wrote the book Pioneer Coaches of the NFL. And he's going to talk about Guy Chamberlain, who uh, coached the Canton Bulldogs back in the day. And I'm working on my second morning speaker. I've got a feeler out. I'm just waiting for a, a confirmation. But I'm real excited about my afternoon panel. Uh, I was able to, to get, just within the last couple of days, three former NFL players that live here in the area or close to the area to commit. Uh, and there are Mark Miller, who was uh, a backup quarterback with the Cleveland Browns during the cardiac kid years, the late seventies, uh, Roger Duffy, who played with the Jets and the Steelers uh, during the nineties uh, and into the early two thousands. And Bob Vogel, who played with the Colts from about 1963 to 1972, played in both Super Bowl three and five. And he's a five-time pro bowler at offensive lineman. Uh, Roger Duffy's also an offensive lineman. So uh, they've all agreed to come in and be part of our NFL player panel in the afternoon. So we usually have them talk about some of their war stories, their careers, uh, and uh, it, it should be an exciting afternoon. We do question and answer period. And then we're also getting a tour of the Hall of Fame at the end. And we started something, uh, I don't always mention this, but we started something last at the last convention called the Quiz Bowl. And it's something we do at the end of the day on Saturday. So we're having Quiz Bowl 2. Just like Super Bowl one, two, and three, we're having Quiz Bowl two uh, at the end of the day. And basically, uh, we have a member that's uh, a uh, math and science teacher down in uh, New Orleans area, and he actually came up with the idea because he uses uh, sometimes sports as a teaching tool. 
And he said, hey, I can come in and do sort of a Jeopardy type of uh, quiz bowl. Uh, so what we did was we had everybody take an answer sheet and then they they fill it out on Friday and then the top three make it to the quiz bowl. And then uh, he comes in with the equipment so they can buzz in and we put everything up on the uh, screen. Uh, we project it up on the screen. It's just like it's just like Jeopardy. Uh, and uh, it, it was a lot of fun and really well received. So we're going to do that again this year, too. Yeah, that sounds like a a fun, filled, packed kind of historic moment type yeah. weekend for you. Yeah, and I almost forgot. We do have a Sunday add-on too. We're getting a tour of the uh, Hall of Fame archives, behind the scenes tour, and that's done by John Kendall, who is the archivist at the Hall of Fame. And we've done that before when we were in Cleveland, and it, that was really well received. He brought out some things that don't make it into the collection that you see at the Hall of Fame because they have so much stuff. Uh, but he brought in some things and showed us some things that were really, you know, fascinating. We actually had us go back into the uh, archives where they have most of the the documentary archives. And the thing that excited me the most was he had some of the plays that Vince Lombardi had actually written, and uh, that was that was really neat. I, I I was blown away by that. Yeah, I bet there's so many artifacts back there. <laughs> oh yeah, it's amazing. But yeah, so that we're going to do that too. Plus, anybody that's part of it gets a, a meal Friday night, a meal Saturday. Uh, free parking at the hall and all the all those things and and admission obviously for the tours that's all included in the price and it's fifty dollars for members and member spouses hundred dollars for non-members and since our membership is only thirty five dollars if you're not a member you can save money by becoming a member so at any rate so that that's a good thing it's a perk oh yeah definitely I mean that to me it sounds like the price is negligible when you factor everything in there it's definitely worth it when it co- when it counts down. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. It's, it's a, if you're a football lover and, and love the history, it, it's a great weekend for anybody in that, uh, that that loves football. So you mentioned 11 moments that Canton has, like the murals and all that stuff throughout throughout town. This is now my chance to bring this thing up to the, oh, we the forefront. We're going to ask you the first DeLorean question. And, you know, you kind of got a little bit of that Doc Emmett Brown hairdo going on right there, too. So maybe you got a little bit of his his genes in you. I'm going to ask you the first one, which I don't know if this is Bill and Ted's excellent adventure or bo- bogus adventure. I can't remember which one's which, but do you remember the one where they brought all the, the historical yeah. characters? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so that movie. So okay. you can take my DeLorean. It's going to have five seats, one for you and four people. You can bring four characters from all of NFL history to now present okay which four characters would you bring this is a tough one this is really a tough one i i i uh i i let uh, me preface this too before that i'm going to restate it because i i didn't i gotta add this to it you can bring them all to this year and you can take them to the convention so everybody at the convention can talk to them <laughs> great scott before we fill up mr fusion for george now is a perfect time to share a cool partnership that we have Something that maybe George will end up finding himself in a headline or two when he's out there picking up these four guys. Hi, I'm Oz Davis of the True the Goats podcast here at the Sports History Network. I'd like to take a minute to tell you about quite possibly the greatest website of all time, newspapers.com. If you're listening to this podcast or any of them at the Sports History Network, you're probably into sports history. And you probably also know that for learning about anything prior to, say, 1990 online, the typical search engines like are nearly completely useless. But then there's newspapers.com. 
Newspapers.com gives you access to over 640 million pages worth of news from North America, Britain, Ireland, and more, dating from 1798 to last week. Do up a search for Super Bowl One, the 36th Berlin Olympics, Wayne Gretzky's first game, whatever. Newspapers.com takes you there with historical flavor that search engines like just don't give you. And now, get a free one-week subscription to Newspapers.com by visiting sportshistorynetwork.com slash newspapers. With a paid subscription, you'll also be helping to support the production of Myth Podcast and other Sports History Network shows. That's sportshistorynetwork.com slash newspapers. Newspapers.com. Way better for searches than you know what I'm talking about. Okay. I'm going to name two coaches, first of all. Paul Brown and Vince Lombardi. And then if I were to name two players, and that's probably the hard one because of narrowing down all these players, but I'd, I'd have to say, and this is my own personal tooth somewhat, I'd have to say Johnny Unitas and Jim Brown. Okay, so you can bring those four and you can pick one of them. Or if you want all four of them, that's fine. Ask them one question as almost like reporter style, what would it be? I would want to ask Johnny Unitas what it was like to be basically sort of, you know, disrespected in the early part of his career and then to basically rise to the heights of where he eventually came. Because I think, I think everybody sort of knows that story, but what did that mean to him, you know, personally uh, to go from that to where he ended up, you know, playing for a semi-pro team? Uh, you know, not not being respected as somebody that could play in the NFL and then all of a sudden playing in perhaps what's considered the most significant game in the history of the game. So I, I think I would want to ask Unitas what his personal feelings are about that. Yeah, and how much of that early stage of his career was like the fueling drive? I mean, he had a drive no, no matter what, but how much right. percentage did that take him over the edge? Like a Tom Brady situation nowadays. right. right. Same right. kind of deal there. So you right. can pick three things from the modern current NFL to show these gentlemen from days old, the differences and changes in the NFL. What would it be? Well, I think for somebody like Unitas, I'd want to show him the uh, changes in the protection of the quarterback. <laughs> Cause I got, I, I, it's amazing to me. I, a couple of years ago, uh, Joe Buck was doing a talk show. I forget where he was doing it. And it was on, I, I caught it on, on, on TV, on one of the many stations I have on cable. And he had on, uh, uh, he had on Joe Namath. And then he also had on, I believe it was, I want to say Manning and another modern day quarterback. And I, I'm drawing a blank right now. And they were talking about, you know, what football is like. And the one thing that Namath said was he would love to play in the modern NFL because, you know, he was getting the, the crap beat out of him, you know, you know, guys like uh, Ben Davidson and uh, and the, the Raiders and everything else, you know, playing playing part of a game with a broken jaw because, you know, he was manhandled and thrown to the ground. And, you know, he said that, you know, I would love to play in the modern NFL where I had all that protection and you can't touch the quarterback and you can sit back there. So, I you know, I, I think that's something that I think Unitas would probably appreciate because, you know, he played in that era too when, you know, quarterback was a sitting duck, you know, and, uh, you know, taking all kinds of, uh, of that. I think with, with Paul Brown, you know, what we were talking about just earlier is the technology of the game, because, you know, he was known as an innovator. Uh, you know, he was one of the first ones to try a microphone in the quarterback's helmet 
And I remember reading stories that uh, I believe it was, it was either George Ratterman or one of the quarterbacks that he had. And so he could hear what Paul Brown was trying to tell him on the sidelines. He sometimes had to have to step away from the huddle and turn his head around in circles so he could get the signal. And now this is like, you know, I mean, it's, it's an accepted thing that, that the coach can talk to the quarterback. So I think, I think Paul Brown being the innovator that he was, I think that, you know, he would probably, you know, appreciate that. And I think with, with Lombardi, I think the fact that he was there for the first couple of Super Bowls and then died so young from cancer, I think maybe he would enjoy seeing what the Super Bowl has become. Because if you remember, the first Super Bowl wasn't a sellout. You know, it was not a sellout. And, and you know, it was something that, that, that grew. And now it's this huge extravaganza. I don't know how Lombardi would feel about that because he was such a, you know, sort of a basics kind of guy. But I, I think he would be interested to see what the game has become. Yeah, it's a it's a funny, interesting type of I don't know Captain America going into ice and coming back out 50, 60 years, whatever it is after that type of deal. Uh, so speaking of that, now you get to take this DeLorean in the other direction. You yourself are going a hundred years into the future. What does the Professional Football Researchers Association look like at this time? I hope we're still um, an active concern. I hope that we still have an NFL. I you know I I sort of think that. NFL by 100 years from now is going to be a much more global concern. You know, I, I think we're going to see a day. One thing that was always interesting to me was um, a number of years ago when baseball celebrated their 100 years in 1969, I uh, I was 13, 14 years old there. And my, my dad would always pick up the sporting news for me when the sporting news was actually still a, a written newspaper uh, that you could hold in your hand. I think it's, I, I, I don't even know if there is a, a written sporting news anymore. I haven't seen a sporting news in years. I think it's all online. I may be wrong about that. I'm, I'm showing my, I'm showing my age right now. I, but they had an article in there, but what was, what was baseball going to be like in a hundred years? And they referred to the fact that, you know, because the Dodgers had moved from Brooklyn and then moved to Los Angeles, that the Dodgers are going to be the first team on the moon and they were going to be called the Luna city Dodgers. And, uh, and that there were going to be teams in Russia and teams all over the world. And it was going to be truly a world series plus, plus an interplanetary series. So, and I remember seeing too about what NFL, I remember during that same Vinny seeing in magazines, what the NFL was going to look like, say, as we got into the future. And it's, it's amazing to me when they showed like the stadiums and stuff with the huge screens and all that, which were not existent back in the sixties and early seventies, that's all come to pass now. So I think that, that what we're going to see is a much more global game with teams. I think that will be in Europe and teams that will be all over the world. I do believe that. I think that's what the NFL wants to happen. And I think the stadiums are going to be even more state of the art. And, and I think it's just going to be, you know, um, amazing what, what maybe people are going to see hundred years from now. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't know when the technology is yeah. going to get there, but right. yeah. You know, I mean, they, they showed the players being much more beefed up, which obviously has come to pass and much more protection and everything else. I, I do think that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, at some point in time, of course, the I mean, there's the when does technology get in the way? It's no longer the same game. And it, like that's always going to happen. And 
going to transpire multiple sides of the fence. And back in the day, you had horse and buggy, then you had the train, then the the, the car, the plane. Yeah. So that just slowly, our planet, and then like you said, interplanetary system will be at some point in time, in my mind, also connected where they're traveling no longer from city to city, but it's yeah. planet to planet or solar yeah. system. It's yeah. crazy to think. Yeah. And I think whereas there's still like travel concerns now about, say, playing games in London and the travel time and everything else, I think that'll be diminished, too, because I just think that, you know, we'll, it'll be another step of technology. So, uh, yeah, I, I I I envision that. I mean, that's what that's what I would expect just based on the way the game has progressed. So uh, I think it's going to be interesting to, you know, our my my grandchildren's children, maybe we'll see that. Yeah, I think it'll also be interesting to see how sports and other live events keep up with the technology advancing to the point where you can sit on your couch and it feels just as real as being there. Yep. And yep. when that'll maybe flip a switch and that kind of thing. I think you're right. I, I think that's going to be a thing too, is I think it's going to be much more, you know, realistic and stuff. I know that uh, I haven't watched it at all, but I know they had this league, I guess this year where you could actually help call the plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I don't know how that would work in the NFL, but I couldn't see Belichick doing that, but you know, but it, it'd just be, uh, you know, interesting, you know, how, how much more fan interactive is the game going to become? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at some point in time that may need to be what happens to yeah. keep them yeah. afloat. Who knows? I'm not here to predict the future, but we can fly into the future with the yeah. DeLorean and figure it's it fun. out. <laughs> yeah. It's always fun. Yep. So I got a, something you, you mentioned to Jeopardy that style that you have the quiz bowl, uh, I'm going to try something. It's like a new game. We'll call it on, on this show. I've never really done before, like a rapid round or blitz Creek. If you want, yeah. uh, I want one interesting knowledge nugget about each one of the books that you've been involved in the three, the three main books. Okay. I'm going to start with a book. You'll give me an interesting knowledge nugget. Okay. 1958 Baltimore Colts. Uh, the interesting thing that I found that I didn't realize was uh, Eubanks pregame speech. Uh, he basically played off the fact that everybody on that team had been disrespected in some way and basically an outcast, including himself. And he used that as sort of a motivation tool before the game. He went around the whole locker room and I actually saw the notes that are in his file at the Hall of Fame. You know, and he he pointed out every player and said, you know, you know, uh, he talked to United and he said, you know, nobody wanted you. You know, 70, 75 cent phone call got you here. You know, and he talked about it. Amici and this person and that person. And, you know, and then he said, here we are in New York, you know, and they were playing the Giants who had just two years earlier been been champions. They're playing in Yankee Stadium. And they said, here's your chance for redemption. And he played up on that. And it was interesting because one of the Giants players afterwards said that he felt that the Colts gutted the game out. And maybe that's what it took, you know, because I think the Colts were considered at least to be much more of a blue collar type of team that was tied to the city and everything else where, you know, New York was more the glamour team, you know, with Gifford and, you know, all these guys, you know, were at the, at the big, you know, New York watering holes back then to shores and, uh, and uh, you know, PJ Clarks and all the nightclubs and everything. It was much more of a glitzy atmosphere. Although I think deep down those giants players were just every much as a blue collar, but that was the image was, is that they were the glitzy team because they were in the big apple. So uh, that would be, my thing was was Eubanks pregame speech. All right, I got to stick to my theme because I have so many. I'd like to have follow up questions, but we're going to keep rapid quiz going. Sure. Nineteen sixty six Green Bay Packers Lombardi ethic. The thing that 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 I was so amazing to me about that team 
was the success that those guys had after football. So many of them went in and become successful businessmen or were successful in sports. And I think it was all because of Lombardi. And I know that's that's something that everybody hears, but I was really amazed at just the success of that team and how impressive that whole team was. The, the things they learned on the field with Lombardi, they took into real life and they were just every bit of successful in real life with it. And that's the thing that impressed me so much about that team. So now the next one will be kind of a teaser bomb for maybe a forthcoming project. 1951, Los Angeles Rams. Yeah. Um, the thing is, and this is sort of a, a, a maybe sort of a comical tidbit that has less to do with football and more to do with uh, pop culture. But Crazy Legs Hirsch, and, and I will say this, he had maybe one of the great all-time seasons for any receiver that year. In 12 games, he had uh, 1,495 yards. He had 17 touchdowns and 146 124.6 yards per game. I wanted to write, I wrote that down because I wanted to make sure I got it right. I mean, he just had maybe one of the great, you know, five seasons of all time by a receiver. But as as did so many of the Rams on that team, being in Los Angeles, a lot of them got involved in the film industry. Uh, Bob Waterfield, one of their two famous quarterbacks, uh, was married to Jane Russell, who was, you know, a huge sex symbol at that time. But Elroy Hirsch played in a was in a movie called Zero Hour Exclamation Point. That's the movie that was the basis for the movie of a few years ago, Airplane, the comedy with Leslie Nielsen. I don't know if you're familiar with Airplane. I think it's all. more than a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, a few <laughs> years ago. All right, well, that shows my age, okay? My, yeah. my, my, kid, my kids joke me about all that time. I said, oh, it was about five years ago. Dad, it wasn't five years ago. <laughs> but anyhow, that movie was a movie because he played a pilot in the movie who basically eats a piece of tainted fish. <laughs> And because of that, he can't fly the plane. Now, I don't think it was meant to be a comedy, but then that became the comedy with Leslie Nielsen and Lord Bridges, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So he was in the original movie that was the basis for the movie Airplane, which I thought was really interesting. Has nothing to do. Has nothing to do with this football career, but I just thought that was unique. Well, like you said, though, because of being in Los Angeles, how, that was what four or five something like that years after they had moved out there. Yes, it was. They moved out actually. As the Cleveland Rams, they won the NFL championship in 45, and then they moved to Los Angeles because Dan Reeves, who was their owner at the time, looked at Los Angeles as being the promised land. And he said that we need to get an NFL team in Los Angeles. And even though there had been a couple of teams with Los Angeles in their name, the Los Angeles Buccaneers in the NFL in the 20th and the Los Angeles Wildcats in Red Grange is American Football League, both those teams had the name, but they didn't play out there. They just had the name. Well, going back to technology, I mean, the fifties, that's when you could really commercial airlines compared to back in the day. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, and he saw that as a promised land. He had been out there. uh, He had been impressed and it was always his dream when he took ownership of the Rams to eventually move them out there. That was something that he felt needed to be uh, needed to be done to get a team out there. And actually once he opened that door, you know, then you had the Dodgers go out there, you had the giants go out there and then, you know, it, it, it started a flood out out to the West Coast. So, and he was the he was the first. He was a he was a a real visionary, a real pioneer in that regard. Huh. And we I had the author for that the book that 
described when they went over there. I'm trying to remember how long ago this was. And I just thought it was so crazy after a championship and then like a couple nights or something like that after they're already yeah. packing up and leaving. Just, yeah, just insane. Was, yeah, it was. It was almost immediate. Yeah, it really was. All right. I got this right here again. We have the one last uh, DeLorean question, right? You're going to go ahead. I hope we have enough juice left and <laughs> you can get back enough in that Mr. Fusion because you're going to first, you have to drop off your four individuals back mm -hmm. at their respective locations okay. and give them the man in black little right. pen light so they, okay. they can't remember that you brought them here. I hope, um, Doc, Brown, I hope Doc Brown helps. <laughs> Great Scott, right? Yeah. Hopefully <laughs> Einstein, man. He, he's still waking up. He's still there. Uh, when you go back though, so you drop these guys off, right? And then you get to take my DeLorean for one last ride. You get to go to any point in NFL history and be present for it and kind of interact with some of the people. Where are you going to? Without question, 58 championship game. Because it, it was, it was. I know it's called the greatest game ever played. It may not be the greatest, but it's the most significant game because it, 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 it brought football into the what I think the modern era with television. It tied the game to that. Uh, and just when you look at the the people that were in that game, you know, um, oh my gosh, you know, I already mentioned Weeb Eubank and obviously Johnny Unitas, Ray Berry, all the Hall of Famers. I, I think I saw Liz one time and I may, I, I may be wrong, but I think if you include players and administrators and coaches, I think 17 people that were involved in that game are in the Hall of Fame. And that includes administrators, coaches and everything else. I mean, that's, that's, that's quite a number, but um, it just, I, I would love to have been in Yankee Stadium for that game and just to 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 see it and hear it because uh, because uh, of the importance of the game and you know seeing Unitas and uh, you know on the on the the Giant side you obviously had you know Charlie Connerly you had Frank Gifford Kyle Rote um, Sam Huff uh, their head coach was Jim Lee Howe I think a lot of people maybe know maybe some don't uh, Jim Lee Howe had two great assistants. His offensive coordinator was Vince Lombardi and his defensive coordinator was Tom Landry. So that game was seminal in many, many ways because, I mean, basically Lombardi went on and, and Landry to basically as coaches sort of dominate the 60s and, and part of the 70s, you know, so and then it all sort of started with that game. So I, I, I think if there's a moment and that's a hard one because. You know, I could also say Super Bowl three. I could say the Ice Bowl, but I I think after everything is said and done, I I think it would be the fifty eight championship game. I would love to go back and be in the crowd. You know, I I want somebody that's listening right now go back to all my episodes and tabulate it because there's three main <laughs> point. It's it's that moment. It's the like you said, Super Bowl three, and the other one is the founding of the NFL that, that yeah. get brought up the most. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, we're gonna bring up a brand new. Just boom. Yeah. Another series, a quantum leap style. You go to the 58 championship. Who are you transforming into? Which player or coach? Oh, I think I'd want to be Unitas. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 he was, he was my, he was the first player I really idolized. You know, I, I remember when I was a kid uh, at a certain point, I, I got to see him play, even though I don't really remember it because I was only eight years old, but he played in the Hall of Fame game in 1964, the Colts and the uh, Steelers. And uh, I had to actually go back and see, you know, he, he threw like two touchdown passes and threw over 200 yards. But I just remember being at Fawcett Stadium. That was obviously the stadium next to the Hall of Fame at that time. And I remember going with my dad and my uncle and seeing that. And I think that was just sort of spurred me, you know, but I, 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 I remember asking for my birthday the one year for a, a blue jersey and a helmet. And they didn't have the NFL stuff back then, but 
and maybe they did, maybe it's just that my parents couldn't afford it being blue collar, but I remember I wrote the logo on the helmet and stuff because I, I wanted to be Johnny United. So I, I, I would say it would have to be United's. Yeah, that's similar to me. My style, I'd like to be Barry Sanders. I was going to be Barry Sanders till you know, I grew up and I wasn't. So the 60s, 70s preseason games, did they play for for real, legit, actually played? Yeah, or okay, they, so did. they did. They did. I, I had to look back. That game was played like the first weekend in September. But one of the things I noticed from researching like the Colts and the Rams books uh, and not so much that I did, but the person that wrote the chapters on that, Mark Ford, uh, who is uh, our uh, executive director, uh, it, it really amazed me that how much the players actually, the starters actually played in the exhibition season. I mean, they 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 played in those games. So, you know, it's not like today when you maybe see them for a couple plays or maybe a couple series of downs, they actually played through those games. So I, I think that was really one of the big differences back then is, is that, you know, you normally, if you went to a hall of fame game, you were bound to see the starters for at least a half, you know? So, I mean, it wasn't unusual. And sometimes into the third quarter, you know, now I remember going to more recent hall of fame games and you'd be lucky if you seen them for a series, if at all, you know, right. So, right. You know, and, and that's true with exhibition games. A couple of years ago, my, my son was in town from Houston and I was able to get us tickets for a saint's, Brown's preseason game and we went hoping we'd see Drew Brees. Well, we saw Drew Brees standing on the sideline, but he never got into the game. So, you know, it's sort of disappointing. Well, we say, well, we saw Drew Brees, but we never got to see him throw a pass. So yeah. Yeah. Carl Mecklenburg meant because I asked him the question about how he played in the eighties. So I said, Hey, did you guys actually play in the because the Pro Bowl? Did you actually play? He's like, Yeah, man, it was like live bullets. We're playing for real. We're playing to win. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It was really a different time. Yeah, I remember seeing pictures of Namath playing in the Pro Bowl back in the day, and he's on the sidelines, you know, sweaty with a. Uh, they must have been playing in a lot of heat because he had like an ice pack on his head, and he looked dirty and everything else, you know. And and so yeah, I mean, those guys were really playing in those games back then. Yeah, I mean, going back to our point earlier, before we get into the last uh, send off, the transformation of how the game has changed so much to what point it's really interesting to think what is it going to be like even in 20 years because how much has changed over the past say 30 years as far as those things off the field mm-hmm. type of things that don't even relate directly to the game so uh last words convention pfra whatever you want to discuss you have the open floor go uh you know i i hope that people check us out um on our website it's profootballresearchers.org. If you're not a member and you're a football history buff, which I assume you are, if you're listening to these podcasts, uh, you know, I encourage you to go on our website and get a membership. Uh, It's it's the best uh, $35 you'll spend in a year. Uh, You get six issues of our uh, magazine, The Coffin Corner, which comes out every other month, which has great articles about pro football history on things that you know, that, that sometimes people haven't, you know, thought of, we try to, to do unique things in there or, or just rethink things that have already, you know, happened in the history of the game. So I think if anything, I would just encourage people that aren't members to please check us out. I, I, I don't think you'll be, uh, I don't think you'll be sorry. We have a great members only section. Uh, we also have a great, you know, forum where people come on and even guests can come on to the forum, but sometimes you, you can find a lot of history just on our forum from people that are, you know, uh, posting on there. It, it sometimes amazes me the, the depth of information and knowledge of some of our members on the, on the forum. So, uh, and, and, 
the thing is, is that if you're, if you say something, that's not right. Somebody will probably correct you, but that's a good thing. You know, cause as I said, we're about accurate history of the game. That's what we're all about. So, uh, you know, and that's, that's what we strive for. So I, I would say that, that, that to please check us out. There you go. Straight from the guy that grew up at the doorsteps of the pro football hall of fame. Again, to learn more about George and the PFRA convention, I highly recommend that now that you're done listening to this episode, you head over to episode number 256 of the Pigskin Dispatch with your host, Darren Hayes. And if you want to jump in on a free seven-day trial at newspapers.com, like we said in the middle of this episode, you can do so by heading over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash newspapers. But for now, dude, I'm through if you're through. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Football History Dude. To make sure you're the first to get the next episode, please subscribe on your podcast player of choice and head on over to thefootballhistorydude.com for the show notes and more information on the history of the NFL. And remember, dudes, where we're going, we don't need roads. The 2021 Professional Football Researchers Association Convention will be held at the Gold Jacket Lounge at the Pro Football Hall of Fame during the final weekend of June. Convention speakers will celebrate the 100th anniversary of the founding of the NFL. The fee for the convention is $50 for members and $100 for non-members. The fee includes admission to the convention and Pro Football Hall of Fame, meals on Friday evening and Saturday afternoon, and free parking. All convention activities are subject to COVID-19 protocols. For more details, Click on the 2021 PFRA convention link at profootballresearchers.org.